Welcome to the Sev Talks Money Podcast, where it's all about renewing, rebranding, and rebuilding you and your finances after a major life event. And now, here's your host, Dr. Severin Bryan. Hey friends, here at Sev Talks Money, we are all about generational wealth. On today's show, my special guest is going to be sharing her story about purchasing a hotel. In addition to that, she's going to be sharing with us some measures we can use to protect our wealth once we acquire those assets. Welcome to the Sev Talks Money Podcast. Today I am joined by Aquania Escarni, and I am going to have her introduce herself to you. Aquania, welcome to the Sev Talks Money Podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad to be here. I am Aquania Escarne, a wealth strategist and life insurance producer who helps women build wealth $1 at a time on my platform, thepurposeofmoney.com and through my podcast, The Purpose of Money. I'm so glad to be here. Okay, thank you so much. Now, Aquania has some really great stories that I'm sure is going to inspire us today. And I want to start off with the one that is more fascinating to me than anything else. And that is your journey to purchasing a hotel. Tell us how that started and how it's going. Oh, man, it's been exciting, surreal, and still interesting. I actually think that it was all in God's plan because I first met some of the people I invested in a Hilton Home 2 Suite with in June of last year. We Mm -hmm. did a summit together. I was the facilitator of one of the um, sessions, and they were the organizers of the conference. And there are uh, two women named Jessica Myers and Davon Reeves of Epic Collective. I really enjoyed their journey into hotel ownership and real estate and decided to have them on my podcast, The Purpose of Money. And it wasn't until they were on the podcast that I learned that hotel ownership is actually something that individual investors can pursue. And I, at the time, was looking for more passive real estate opportunities, which means I didn't have to be involved in the day-to-day, but Mm -hmm. I could invest capital and earn a pretty good return on my money. So they were on episode 26 of my podcast. We really started to build a genuine relationship. And a month later, they sent out an email asking if anyone was interested in pursuing hotel ownership. And I actually missed the first email. And so I had no idea that this opportunity was out there, but I saw the second email and I immediately responded and then proceeded to ask a billion questions because I had never pursued hotel ownership before. And there was a lot I didn't know, but Epic Collective was really, really kind in addressing my questions, organizing Uh, group calls for everyone who was interested so that we could collectively ask questions that maybe everyone was thinking and then pursue the opportunity with informed 
um, minds. So that's how I ended up meeting a group that helped me to invest. And when I pursued the opportunity, I also encouraged a few other people that I know to invest with me so that we could really expand the number of women hotel owners out there. Yeah, that sounds so awesome uh, because women are typically at the head of, of entrepreneurship. Women are the largest sector of entrepreneurs and African-American women, especially are leading the number of women entrepreneurs. So this, this is exciting to me. So how, after you met with them, uh, what were some of the things that you had to go through to get to hotel ownership? A lot of it is based on educating yourself until you're comfortable with making the decision. When you express interest, you're given a prospectus that will estimate the potential returns based on your investment. So they'll have different levels in which you can contribute and then projections based on a, quite a few things. So they'll look at the number of rooms, the cost of managing the hotel, and then the anticipated increase in revenue post-COVID. Uh, you have to keep in mind that uh, COVID definitely impacted the travel industry. And so mm -hmm. a lot of the hotel deals that are available right now um, are for hotels that are underperforming, but were previously performing very well before COVID-19. So what that means is I had to feel comfortable knowing that I was investing in something that I was buying at a really, really low cost but it's expected to go up in value in the next three to five years. And so this is a longer term investment that in three to five years, we hope to sell. And that's when you make the most return on your money. But in the meantime, you'll get dividends after um, a couple of years of being in the opportunity. So I definitely had to use money that I didn't need right away. I used savings that wasn't really doing much for me where it was sitting. Oh, and yeah. I also <laughs> had to be prepared for that three to five year investment just because uh, you're not going to get the money back right away. And you also have the potential to have to hold on to it a little longer in the event that the hotel industry takes longer than we projected to bounce back. But so far, it's good. We have monthly calls with Epic Collective to go over the financials. The hotel is progressing in an upward capacity. There's more stays um, than there were before, and they're steadily increasing, but it's still not at the pre-COVID capacity just yet. But there is definitely an upward trend, so that's great. I've also gone to visit the hotel. It's in El Reno, Oklahoma, which is a location that has good demand. It's located near the highway. There's a lot of restaurants nearby and a lot of construction projects in the area. So we have a long-term stays. And because it's a home to suites, the rooms are able to accommodate those who are staying there a bit longer. They have mm -hmm. refrigerators and kitchenettes and more space. So you'll want to stay there if you're working in El Reno for longer than, say, a passenger that's just traveling by. Okay. So are, are there any plans to expand beyond the one hotel? Uh, or are they just kind of maybe staying there and seeing how that goes before they decide to move on to more? 
We are in the process of acquiring additional hotels. Okay. Okay. Sounds, sounds awesome. Yeah. I can't say too much because we're still trying to close on those opportunities, but I am quite confident by the time this episode goes out, I will be a multiple hotel owner. Oh, sounds, sounds great. Now, how can someone get, you mentioned Epic Collective. How can someone listening to the podcast, if they are interested, how can they uh, become part of this? Um, what kind of uh, process, weeding out process, I guess, um, for lack of a better word, um, is there that they would need to uh, consider to even think about whether or not this would be a good fit or if they would qualify? There's a couple of ways that you can invest in hotels. One is you can contact me or Epic Collective directly. They're on Instagram at E-P-I-Q Collective, Epic Collective with the Q. You can get on their mailing list and the next time they have an opportunity, they will email it to their list. But Epic Collective and I have really combined forces and become a family and I am also promoting their opportunities to my email list. So if you go to thepurposeofmoney.com and subscribe to my email list, you'll also hear about the next venture. The criteria as far as investing, it's really up to individuals. I am a wealth strategist who will help people figure out their finances and make sure they're in a financial position to invest, whether it's hotels, real estate, or something else. And a lot of people should be working with a professional once they have a certain amount of assets, if they really want to maximize their wealth. I traditionally work with individuals who have regular jobs and they're investing in retirement accounts with their employer. And they're also, with my guidance, saving well outside of that. So they have the additional income to make these types of decisions. But in general, the criteria for the latest opportunities that have come out have actually been open to everyone. However, in order to learn about the opportunities, you have to be on someone's list because the SEC doesn't allow us to publicly advertise them to everyone. So it's kind of a catch-22. They're open to everyone, but they're not advertised to the public. So you have to either network or be on the list or just be in circles with people who are already doing this. I think all of that is essential to building wealth anyway. You should be networking with like-minded people. You should be yes. asking questions and asking people how are they able to elevate their finances. And then when you're working with someone you trust, make sure that that's work for you or that you can financially afford it. So this opportunity in El Reno, Oklahoma was actually open to accredited investors and non-accredited investors. An accredited investor is someone who has over a million dollars in assets, not including their primary residence, or is someone who makes $200,000 a year and is expected to make that same amount of money in the current year or uh, a married couple who makes over $300,000 a year and is expected to continue to make that amount of money in the future. And um, the other option, if you don't meet those criteria, if you don't have a million in assets or you don't have the salary for the single or the married couple, then you're what we call a non-accredited investor. So it means, although you don't meet the criteria of an accredited investor, there are some investments where they can take up to 35 non-accredited investors. So if you wanted to be a part of the opportunity, 
you could express interest, but you have to disclose that you're a non-accredited investor. And then they have to make sure that they don't exceed the max number. That 35, yes. 35 number. Yes. This, this sounds like a really, really great opportunity for someone who has, you know, cash sitting in, in their account, because right now I don't think any bank is paying more than 1% anywhere. <laughs> and, and, and you can't save your way to wealth. You have to find ways to invest in order to grow your wealth. Absolutely. And I actually even have creative ways in which you can use uh, retirement assets to invest as well. But I only recommend using retirement assets if you have more than enough. And when you use the money to invest, you still have plenty to retire off of. Mm -hmm. So I do a calculation with clients to make sure they're in that position. And I'm very brutally honest if they're not. But the good thing is, as an entrepreneur myself, I was able to open up what we call an EQRP. It's an enhanced qualified retirement plan. It's not limited to entrepreneurs, but as an entrepreneur, I've opened one through my business and it's another way to save for retirement. So I'm able to contribute to my EQRP um, up to $57,000 a year towards retirement. That number is the max across all my retirement accounts. So what I'm doing at my nine to five, I have to subtract from that number and then invest the difference. But either way it goes, I'm able to save for retirement, but I'm also able to take those retirement savings and invest them in the investments that I want, right? So I have my work retirement account, my 401k that's invested in the mutual funds that the account offers, but I have the qualified retirement plan, the EQRP, where I'm investing in hotels. And so I'm not accessing the money today. I'm actually investing it in hotel opportunities and then um, waiting for the return. And when we sell them, I'll put the money back into these retirement accounts and eventually be able to use it in retirement any way I like. But it's a great way to take extra money. Mm -hmm that I am saving for retirement and put into what I want to put it in, if that makes sense. So having yes. control over some of my retirement assets and then having my job have control over the others. Yeah, yeah. Now uh, you mentioned some of the groups that you mentioned when, when they determine who gets to, to invest or who qualifies to invest. You mentioned singles and coupled. <clears throat> what if maybe uh, two members of a family decided they wanted to come together and invest how would they be considered also you can definitely do that i encourage family members to pool their money together in order to make the minimums for these investments because that's a great way to save together and to invest and build wealth as a family my recommendation however is that you create an llc or an entity that mm -hmm. you can put your money into. And that entity should have guidelines or rules on how you plan to operate, mm -hmm. including how will you require each person to contribute the money? How much money are you gonna require and who's gonna manage it? Because once you create an entity, you need to make sure you're taking care of whatever fees your state requires to keep the entity in place, whether it's paying for the name to stay active, filing taxes for the LLC. Those are things you need to think about. But by putting the family's money into the LLC, you can also invest as an entity into these deals as well. 
Yeah, that, that will definitely help to minimize um, friction in the family, mm-hmm. <laughs> having those rules and I, up front. And I'm a huge advocate <laughs> of writing stuff down. Yes, yes. What Words, writing trumps words every time. Now, we've been talking about wealth and, you know, how to build wealth. And so now let's think about how to protect that wealth. We're, we're talking about hotel, buying a hotel, which is helping us to build wealth. So let's talk about how we can protect that wealth. And I know that one of the things that you do, because I'm your client, <laughs> is, is um, you, you do things uh, around asset protection. So share with us some of the things that someone can look at, some of the tools they can use to protect their assets. Yes, absolutely. So in addition to building wealth through hotel ownership, real estate, and other ways, I also build wealth through life insurance. I am one of those people who I got tired of seeing GoFundMe accounts to pay for funerals. Mm, Yes. And what really hit me is when I saw someone who worked at my job, who was same age as me with children, whose family was using GoFundMe to raise money. And I thought to myself, we both worked at a company, made decent salaries. Why wouldn't you have enough assets, life insurance to pay for a Mm -hmm. funeral? That's when it struck me that everyone needs the education and and to know how valuable life insurance is. Life insurance is a guaranteed way to leave a legacy to your family. If you die, they get the income that you've paid a life insurance company a premium every month or however long to ensure that your family's taken care of. And life insurance, most important value is to replace your income in the event the worst happens. So if you pass away suddenly and your children are still young or you have a spouse that might be a stay-at-home spouse, you don't necessarily have to have children. Life insurance is for anyone that has someone that depends on them for income. So if you're mm-hmm. if you're a single person whose parent depends on you for income or a sibling depends on you for income, you need life insurance. And life insurance will ensure that if something happens to you, that family member has income to maintain a lifestyle you've worked so hard to create. And it may also cover college. It can pay off mortgages. But the goal is to make sure that while your family's grieving, they're not also trying to figure out how to pay the bills. That's the foundation of life insurance. But there are strategies out there that depending on your situation may make sense to invest in more life insurance so that you can leave it to your family and you can utilize it while you're alive. It really just depends. So when I work with clients, I look at their financial situation and I determine what type of life insurance is best for them and what'll meet their goals, right? Right. For those who are on a lower budget and they really just wanna make sure family's taken care of, but they don't have a lot of wiggle room to pay a higher premium, I recommend term life insurance. Term life insurance, it's temporary. It's for a certain amount of time that you pay for. Mm -hmm. So some life insurance that's temporary could be one year. And that's normally the life insurance that renews every year through your job. If your job offers you life insurance, you might notice it coming out of your paycheck every pay period, but it gets more expensive every year but it's getting more expensive because it's renewing every year and you're getting older every year, okay? 
But you can also invest in term life insurance outside of work and you can get it in five, 10, 15, 20, or 30 year policies, which means after the term expires, so does the insurance. You're not gonna get any money back, but the deal that you had with the insurance company was if I die, you're gonna pay my family this money. Right. Most term policies are not paid out. One to 2% of term policies are paid out. And the reason is because good for you, you lived. That's what we want, right? We don't want family members to die early, but you're paying for insurance in the event the worst happens. You're protecting your family, but you're, you're sort of paying a small amount to ensure they get a larger amount if you die. And most of the time with term policies, you're never gonna pay the amount into the policy that you're actually gonna get paid out if you die. It never adds up to be the same. Yes. The alternative to term policies is permanent life insurance. It's more expensive, but by being permanent, it means that it covers you for the rest of your life. There are several different types of permanent policy, but the easiest way to think about it is that mortgage or that forever home. When you invest in permanent life insurance, it's supposed to cover you forever. You might pay for it for 10 years. You might pay for it for 30 years. But the, but the bottom line is once you've paid for it, you are guaranteed to get the death benefit if you die. That's why it's cost more because the life insurance company is taking on a greater risk to ensure that when you die, they pay it out because you are guaranteed to die. We all know we're going to die. We just don't know when, (laughs) right? So permanent life insurance costs more because the life insurance company is taking on more risk. But in addition to taking on the additional risk and the guarantee to pay it out, they give their clients um, what we call cash value. So every time you pay a premium, a portion of your premium will go into a cash bucket that earns interest and that cash bucket and the interest will grow over time. That cash bucket, some families choose to use it to supplement retirement. Some families use it as a family bank where they will borrow from it give scholarship money to other members of the family, use it to pay for a down payment on real estate. There's creative ways to use that cash value. My only um, asterisk that I want to kind of put to that is there's different ways to use the cash value. And depending on how much you take out, you may have to pay that money back out of the death benefit if you die and you still have a loan, right? So- the, the cash is there. It can be strategically utilized. I have used cash value for real estate in order to purchase properties and sort of use it as a way to access cash at a much cheaper rate than banks. But that strategy is not for everyone. And like I said, if you don't have that extra income, it's better to get term so that you're protected and then work with someone on what permanent policy is best for you once you get older or once you have more income. It's the strategy that life insurance producers are best to talk to you about it with because they can really look at your financial situation and help you make an informed decision on which insurance is best for you. Right. Yeah, I I certainly agree because um, you want to you, you don't want to get the, the life insurance that is going to bring the agent the most money. You want one that really works for you. So you want to make sure you explore all the options. And then depending on your goals, 
choose the one that's going to work for you. Okay, so tell us, you know, give us some tips that somebody who's listening now, they've heard about ways to build wealth um, in the form of hotel purchase, and then they've heard of a way to protect their asset in the form of life insurance. For a single mom who may have lost a spouse during COVID, because a lot of people are losing their loved ones, for a single mom who has lost a spouse, who now is trying to figure out how can I take care of my kids? What kind of step would you would you advise them to go through to um, look at insurance? And then how, would, how should they be looking at it to determine what's going to be best for them in that situation to make sure their kids are going to be covered in, in the event anything should ever happen to them? Uh, how, what, how would you advise that person? If you are the head of a household and you have anyone that depends on your income, especially children, you need life insurance. And I'll give you a quick uh, acronym to help you remember how much or how to figure out how much you need. It's called the DIME method. It's the debt, income, mortgage, and education. So you're going to look at how much debt do you owe as an individual, whether it's student loans, personal loans, uh, your mama, like whoever is going to come after your estate, that's your mm -hmm. assets. Once you've died for money, you need to tally that up and put that in the debt column. And then you need to add it to 10 times your income. So the minimum I ever want my clients to have is five times their income because I prefer 10, but you can get away with five times. And the reason I say five times or 10 times your income is because you want your family members to be able to survive five to 10 years after you die. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if God is good and gives you a long life, most spouses, 10 years is about the time frame that the other partner will live. Now, obviously, if you die young and your spouse lives a long time, 10 years may not necessarily be enough, but it'll be a lot easier for them to get through the next 10 years with your income still being available than with it not being there. Right. So five years is my absolute minimum, but 10 years is my preferred. You take your salary, your annual salary, you'll multiply it by 10. Then you will add that to whatever the balance is on your mortgage if you own a home. If you don't own a home yet, but you implant, you plan to purchase one in the next one to two years, think about how much you intend to spend on a home. And I would put that amount of money into your calculation. And the last thing is the E for education. And education, I currently estimate at $50,000 a year per child that you want to fund to go to college. Now that's assuming that you wanna fund college fully. There are some parents out there who are like, I didn't get a full ride from my parents to go to college, so I'm not giving you one. And they may only wanna fund college at 50% or mm -hmm. 25%. So decide how much you wanna fund college for your children. If you wanna do the full amount of 50,000 a year times four, assuming they're gonna to go to a four-year four institution, and you would add that to your numbers. But if you say you only want to fund half of it, then you would do half. So maybe $100,000 for four years and not $200,000. Add up your D, I, M, and E. 
Whatever your number is, that's the minimum number of insurance that you should consider for your family, especially if you're head of household and you're the primary income earner. Once you um, get that, if again, if your budget is tight, get that in term. It'll be much cheaper for you to get term insurance for the amount that you need. And you can choose a 20-year or 30-year term with the assumption that if you do the math, maybe by the time the policy expires, your children are adults, they're responsible and hopefully working. So they're no longer as dependent on you for income so that you can be what some people would call self-insured, meaning your assets, your retirement account, your investments, maybe even your home, you own all these things. Now you have enough income to cover a funeral that you may not need life insurance anymore. There are some people who believe that you can be self-insured and no longer need life insurance. What I do with my clients is I actually determine that on a case-by-case basis because no matter what you do, you and I, when we die, we're going to have a final tax bill. Mm -hmm. We may have estate taxes that need to be paid. And I've already seen in real life situations, how using life insurance to pay for your final expenses, not just a funeral, but your final taxes is actually cheaper for your estate than to use the assets in your estate to pay for your expenses. And this is why. Let's say you have a house and you suddenly die, your house becomes a part of your estate, you don't have life insurance, you didn't have a will. So now we have some big issues here. The county is still going to want to figure out your assets. So they might send you to court to go through probate. And then they're also going to want you to probably pay estate taxes. Here's what happens. Your family, they're not rolling in the dough. They don't have excess savings. They don't have access to a lot of cash. But your state says you got to pay for probate. If you don't have money to pay for the probate court process and fees, then maybe your state decides that your probate fees will be a percentage of your assets. So let's say you have a $200,000 house that you worked hard, you paid for most of your life, you wanted to pass down to your family, but you forgot to leave the will that said to do it. Now you've passed away. The family has to go through probate. The family has to pay 10% of the value of your assets for probate fees. So that's $20,000 somebody has to come up with to get your family through probate and nobody has it. Yeah. So I can can assume that if they don't have it, they have to uh, liquidate those assets. Exactly. So guess what happens? Now we have to sell the house that you wanted Mm -hmm. them to inherit just to pay the fees for processing your estate. And on top of that, because they're not, now they've sold the house. Now you're also hoping they're selling the house at the top of the market. Yeah. Whereas what if you died in 2008 oh. and now your house isn't worth what you pay for it. There might even be mortgage left to pay off and you're selling it below market value. When you have life insurance, you give your family options to utilize the cash from a life insurance company to pay for the expenses and hold on to your assets until they're worth selling. So it gives them the flexibility not to have to sell at a bad time in the market or to a motivated buyer because I'm a real estate agent. One of my properties was an estate sale 
And the reason I got it so cheap is because the family didn't want to have anything to do with owning a house. That's what we call motivated sellers. Yeah. Don't make your family be motivated sellers and not get the wealth that you left for them because you didn't have the time to get life insurance and to do a will. Right, right. And it certainly doesn't take a long time to get it. Now, if someone were to have life insurance and uh, whether term or permanent life, and uh, let's say they got it, you know, three years ago and situation, their family situation changed drastically. Is there a way for them to change those, um, those whether it's permanent or term, to change that, amend it? Um, you know, how would they change the life insurance or can they change the life insurance that they have? Yes, you can make changes, but it depends on what type of insurance you have. And what company you're with. My companies that I work with, because I'm not um, dedicated to one company, I actually have access to several. There's different policies for each company. But one of my favorite companies that I work with, if you have permanent insurance, you can ask for an adjustment. Sometimes you can even ask for the premium to either be postponed or for the cash value that you earned on the permanent policy to pay for the policy until your finances are back to where they need to be to cover the expense themselves for yourself. If you have term insurance, you can sometimes make an adjustment, but most of the time you can't. So you end up having to either, if you can't afford the policy that you have, you may have to terminate it and apply for something cheaper, but it all depends. Every company's different. What I will say is if you end up canceling a life insurance policy, you normally have to go through the process of being approved for a new policy all over again if you decide you want another one. And a lot of times that either requires a medical exam or a medical review of your file. So it's I caution people when it comes to expenses, try to lower all your other expenses before terminating life insurance, because every time you apply for a new policy, you are evaluated at your new age and at your new health. And so if you've had changes in your health since you applied, or even your health has gotten worse, it's going to cost you more money to get insured. Yes, that's been my experience too. <laughs> okay. So we, we've, we've covered um, a gamut here. Tell us, um, I'm going to be putting your contact information in the show notes, but tell the listeners how they can best contact you. I love to hear from listeners on all my platforms. You can check me out on Instagram at The Purpose of Money. You can also check out my website, thepurposeofmoney.com. I'm also pretty active on Twitter, sharing my rants and financial tips at purpose underscore money. Feel free to check me out on any of those platforms or subscribe to my podcast, The Purpose of Money Podcast on Apple, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you may listen. I am someone who offers a free financial um, analysis or at least a 15-minute chat. So definitely, if you connect with me on thepurposeofmoney.com, we can talk about your personal financial goals and how I may be able to assist you with life insurance or wealth strategies to help you build wealth. Okay. Thank you so much, Aquania, for sharing with us today. Uh, this has been very informative, and I am sure that the guests will, the listeners will get a lot of value, like I did, from our discussion here today. Thanks for listening to the Sev Talks Money podcast. Find us on sevtalksmoney.com, Spotify, 
Apple Podcast, and many more. See you next time.